So let's set our motivation this morning by really rejoicing in the precious human life that we have right now, right this moment. That we have the conditions to be able to listen to the teachings of the Buddha. That we have the conditions to practice so that we can transform our mind that we can develop our good qualities to their fullest last night when I came into the meditation hall a little baby frog was on the step and when I opened the door he jumped in to the meditation hall and it struck me how you know the conditions of being at a place where there's dharma and where people are practicing and yet because of the form he or she is in it's not going to be very beneficial and so we have all these circumstances that we can use to transform our minds and our hearts And we do this not only for our own benefit, but we practice this path and transform, develop our good qualities, develop our potential. And then we turn around and extend our hand and help those around us. And as we keep practicing this path, we get closer and closer to the Buddha we get closer and closer to our fullest potential and thereby are able to benefit more and more in a more skillful way we do this for the benefit of all So this morning we're going to explore the mind that ruminates and ruminating is uh, taking a situation or an experience and uh, running it over and over and over in our mind and um, I don't know about you but I'm very familiar with this uh, process (laughs) I know this one and um, I think the most clear example is if somebody says something to us and we react with anger and then you know we walk away and then the mind goes over and over and over and over and over and then over over. (laughs) Uh, what just happened so that's what we're talking about so we'll explore what is what this ruminating is uh, like what we focus on um, what the result is that it brings 
uh, to the mind. And then we'll talk a little bit about some methods um, to counteract this uh, habitual pattern that many of us, I think, have. So in uh, Taming the Mind, which is um, the book that Venerable Children wrote that we're uh, studying um, in the Sharing the Dharma series here, uh, she talks about ruminating in the context of um, past uh, and future. So first we'll talk a little bit about ruminating about the past. So often this has to do with past hurts, um, when we were disappointed, uh, when we felt anger, when we felt misunderstood, um, and then we dwell on these experiences and uh, reliving the painful situation, ruminating. And the interesting thing about the mind is whether we're experiencing something in the moment or we're remembering and reliving it from the past, our body and mind responds to it as if it is happening right now. And it's important, I think, to remember that because if you think about it for a minute, why would I want to step into that pain again? But yet we do, don't we? Again and again and again. But I think it's important to recognize that if I recreate a situation in my mind, even if it isn't happening in this moment, I will have the same kind of body-mind reaction as I did when it happened. The other thing that we ruminate about in the past are pleasurable experiences. And so often we'll begin with a memory and focus only on the positive aspects of what we call pleasurable. And we don't take in the full account of the total experience. We only focus on, we kind of idealize it, focus on just the positive aspects. And then we kind of make it solid in our mind. And then we grasp after it. We want it again, that very thing. And a lot of craving usually arises. And this is the mind of nostalgia. Quite uh, unrealistic, actually. And because it's craving after something that is gone um, and can never be experienced again. uh, And yet that's what we're looking for. This happens uh, in meditation often. You know, you'll sit on the cushion and you'll have a really clear meditation and your body will be really comfortable and it'll feel pretty blissful. And, you know, you just, it was really wonderful. And then the next time you sit on the cushion, you look for that very thing. And does it happen? (laughs) No. And then, you know, all the disappointment arises and, you know, all of the ruminating and what am I doing wrong or I don't like this or why isn't it happening now or, you know. So we get into that that spinning mind again. So thinking about the past um, in those two ways, uh, really not so beneficial for the mind. Mm -hmm. We also can spend a lot of our attention thinking about the future. 
And it's often focused around planning. And now planning, there's nothing wrong with planning. Planning can be very helpful um, to, you know, organize our lives and to set intentions and then, you know, get things done. The trouble, though, I think, is what we end up doing is planning and then we go further and start creating what the situation is going to look like, what the experience is going to look like. So we really start going into this fantasy world, actually. We create the story. We, you know, we become novelists. We write this, this story out of how it's going to look. And oftentimes, too, that can become very idealistic. And so when we then create this story in a certain way, a lot of our afflictions arise. So we can start craving after what we've uh, built in our mind. Or the other thing we do is we start worrying about it. And then, of course, that can bring up a lot of anxiety. So this is kind of the what-if mind, this anxiety one. So something's coming up in the future and we start creating the story of what that's going to be like. Emotions arise. We feel anxious about it. And then we start spinning in it again and again and again. And this happens a lot with transitions when we're going to do something, you know, transition from, you know, this to that. Oftentimes that'll trigger that, it seems like. And again, if anxiety is in the mind about a future um, activity that's going to happen when we it's the same thing with the mind I can create the story in my mind and have anxiety about it and then my body reacts to that anxiety by releasing adrenaline into the bloodstream And then I feel the anxiety rise and I bring the story again, full circle, and go around it again, more adrenaline, bring it around again. Now we've got a worry loop going to the point where if you keep letting that happen, you'll get to the point where you're panicked. You know, you actually feel panic. So it really feeds on itself, these worry loops. It has a real obsessive force to it. So what do we do with these uh, habits of ruminating? So I think the first thing is that we teach ourselves uh, to remember that the only time we ever have to live is now, this moment. Our spiritual practice is practiced in the present moment, right here, right now. And I don't know about you, but many times I've gone on retreat and you start spending time thinking about the next retreat you're going on and, you know, the good place that's going to be because this one's too cold or too this or too that. And, you know, it's like, boy, I could just get on the web and see that. What's that next one coming, you know? So, uh, not so helpful. So really, these past and future ruminations keep us from our Dharma practice. In Taming the Mind, Venerable Children writes that Dharma practice means dealing with what is happening in our mind at this moment. 
And I think what's behind all this ruminating is um, our old friend, huh, uh, the self-centered attitude. Not so friendly. Hmm? So we can investigate this in meditation. And, you know, whenever I'm in the past or in the future ruminating, there is a star of these stories. And it is the big me. It's all about me. Yeah. So it's the I that's this, this inherently existent solid I that's really running the show. Pulling the attention to the past, oftentimes out of aversion or craving, and into the future, or into the future, again, craving or clinging often. And so this is why meditation is so crucial um, for us to experience and see how the mind uh, thinks so we can start identifying these habits. Because I think they're so uh, habitual in the mind that we don't even recognize when we're going through our day how much time we're spending in future-focused or past. I think most of it, I don't know, I think it would be interesting to see what everybody is in, but I would venture that mostly it's in um, future and the planning and the worrying and what's going to happen next and the grasping after the next thing. And I think our society really helps propel that. Um, you know, because kind of TV, I think, is kind of a kind of an aspect of that. You know, it's passively focused on something that's doing something, you know, kind of watching things unfold you know not so much in this very moment and so with meditation the advantage is that we have the quiet and the space to watch and see what arises to see because you know you can uh, sit down to meditate and you have the object in mind whatever it is and you know in two seconds, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it takes, I don't know. All of a sudden, you know, you're on that trip you took in, you know, 68, (laughs) thinking about blah, blah. Or you're in next week wondering about blah, blah. And so it's so instructive to see, you know, that the mind does that because that's not Dharma practice. That's not meditating. Yeah. There is no utility to that. There is nothing beneficial about that. It keeps us from ourselves. You cannot have your heart opened when you're involved in past or future tripping. It's impossible, you know. So... It's also important, you know, I can say this, but that's not going to give you the information. The information and the learning about this is about sitting on the cushion, watching when your mind, when you've spent the entire uh, meditation time on some future worry or some past something, and then evaluate and see how does the mind and body feel after you do that. 
versus a time where you stayed present with your body and mind and you worked with something present. So, you know, I would invite you to do that experiment to see. So really we're trying to have more awareness of the content of our minds so we know what to cultivate and what to abandon. So whether we're on the cushion or off, setting our intention to stay present and to bring the mind back when it gets lost in the past or future really is a moment-by-moment practice. And again, that's why meditation is so beneficial because we can... You know, you have to recognize it first. If you don't recognize it, you're never going to turn it. So you have to recognize it first, and then you keep bringing yourself back to the present moment. That's really hard to do when you're involved in day-to-day things, you know. There's, I don't know about you, but for me, there's this underlying chatter that goes on continually in the mind when you're up and about doing whatever. And if you take a look at it, if you stop and take a look at it, it's, oftentimes past or future focused you know that's wasted time that is wasted time so venerable in the book talks about some antidotes to apply to the ruminating mind and so one of them that she talks about is reflecting on impermanence and death because that helps us get our priorities clear that kind of gives some momentum um, some intention to not waste time actually it's like hmm you know I don't know how long I'm going to be here since I've decided that it's useless to keep my attention in the past or future then let me work to recognize when I'm there and get myself present again And why? Why do I want to stay present? Because that's the place where I can open my heart and help and be kind and be loving and be compassionate and be caring. That's the place. That's where I can do positive actions. I can't do positive actions when I'm lost in the past or I'm worrying in the, about the future. There's no positive actions there. That's just self-centered attitude all about me. Mm-hmm. The other thing that she writes is that recognizing that past experiences and future stories are projections of our mind. They are not real. So that helps prevent us from getting lost in them. She writes that the objects of our memories and daydreams are like the reflection of the face in the mirror. They are not real, but are mental images flickering in the mind. I like that image because it helps you not get stuck in it all. You know, it's just like flickers in the mind. She also suggests that putting some effort into understanding the wisdom, realizing that there is no concrete me to start with. And we do that by uh, examining who is having all these ruminations. 
We try to find this solid appearing me. And when we do that exercise, we can't find. And again, that kind of helps loosen up how tight we're holding the past or the future. Now, all of these uh, antidotes that she talked about are subjects that are in the long rim, the analytical meditations. And again, there's another good reason why it is so helpful and so important to do these analytical meditations. Now, if you're in meditation and you're having these um, uh, distractions, there are specific antidotes um, uh, to counter these hindrances to developing concentration. And right now, Venerable Tarpa has been teaching these on the Bodhisattva Breakfast Corner, and uh, they're posted up on uh, YouTube on the web. And so those are very, very helpful to apply directly uh, when you're in meditation and you notice that your mind has gotten off the object of concentration, off the present moment. Yeah. And so those five hindrances are sensual desire, ill will, sloth or torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. So I'd invite you to look at those uh, YouTube uh, teachings. They're very helpful. And then uh, Han uh, writes extensively about cultivating mindfulness in the present moment. And I really like his language. He's so gentle. It's really quite lovely. I'm just going to read a, a few things that he wrote. Mindfulness is the energy of being aware and awake to the present moment. It is the continuous practice of touching life deeply in every moment of daily life. To be mindful is to be truly alive, present and at one with those around you and with what you are doing. We bring our body and mind into harmony while we wash the dishes, drive the car, take our morning shower. Our breathing is a stable, solid ground that we can take refuge in. Regardless of our internal weather, our thoughts, emotions, perceptions, our breathing is always with us like a faithful friend. Whenever we feel carried away, or sunken in a deep emotion, or scattered in worries and projects, we return to our breathing to collect and anchor our mind. And so, to train ourselves to bring our awareness inside, I mean, when you think about it, when you're, you know, doing something active like, you know, going to work or cleaning the house or whatever, oftentimes we're so taken by all the outside stuff that we just have lost our awareness of ourself. Yeah. And, you know, we work to the point that we don't even recognize our body needs a break often. Yeah. 
So to start allowing ourselves to step back into our body, step back into our awareness, so that we can kind of connect back again to our heart, to our goodness, to our compassion. Very helpful. And so everybody's mind is different, how it thinks. So you have to kind of figure out how you can keep that a priority for yourself. How can you work with that each day? One of the ways I try to do it is with every transition. So standing up to go do something, sitting down to go do something, you know, changing the focus from this to that, um, from eating to not, from waking to sleeping, all these different transition points from getting in the car to getting out of the car, all these transition points that you build in there also kind of this check-in, this finding the breath, this looking at the energy to see where your mind is and to bring it back home. And for people that have done some meditation and have stayed present with themselves, you can feel the power of that. That potential is the most powerful force there is. And we know that because using that force to its extreme degree, to the very, you know, fullest potential, that's what becomes a Buddha. So we have that ability to touch that place and to, to train ourselves to stay in that place. I will never become a Buddha if I keep most of my attention in the past or future. Won't happen. Won't happen. And plus, you know, it isn't even compassionate to myself to do that. It will bring me nothing. So if I'm holding on to a story from the past, my task is to figure out what do I need to do so I can set that down and let that go. Often it's about forgiveness of myself or others. And in the future, you know, the planning worry place, you know, that's kind of the self-centered Attitude and underneath that often is kind of a, you know, not a very positive picture of myself. I'm anxious and worried because I don't think I'm going to do it well enough or right, you know. So then that's kind of looking at esteem and how we hold ourselves. When is it good enough? When have I done enough? When can it be okay? When can I ask others to help me so I don't have to do it all myself? All those places in the mind so one of the things that Han says is when we're uh, present with our body and our breath that we can just think to ourselves gently breathing in I know that I am breathing in breathing out I know that I am breathing out we do not need to control our breath 
Just still the breath as it actually is, maybe long or short, deep or shallow. With our awareness, it will naturally become slower and deeper. Conscious breathing is the key to uniting body and mind and bringing the energy of mindfulness into each moment of our life. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Jeez. Yeah. So there are these um, short verses that are called gathas that uh, are useful to bring one back to the moment. They're just short verses that help us practice mindfulness in our daily activities. And they can really open and deepen our experience of simple acts, uh, which we often take for granted. So when we focus our mind on a gata, we return to ourselves, become more aware of each action. And then when the gata ends, we continue our activity, but with heightened awareness, not kind of on automatic pilot. So an example that he's written is, as we turn on the water faucet, we can look deeply and see how precious the water is. We remember not to waste a single drop because it can be quite scarce in this world. While brushing our teeth, we can make a vow to use loving speech. That's a good one. Before turning on the engine of our car, we can prepare for a safe journey by reciting the gata of starting the car. Before starting the car, I know where I am going. The car and I are one. If the car goes fast, I go fast. Isn't that interesting? That's a good one. So he says that with this calm and clear mind, fully aware of the activities of our body, we're less likely to get into a car accident. Mm -hmm. So these are kind of um, little sayings that kind of mm, direct our mind in a certain place so that we can stay present. Lama Zopa has written a lot of these also. Uh, Different language, but still very powerful. Uh, So, uh, here are some of his. When you lie down, think, may I bring all sentient beings to the sorrowless state. When you sit down, think, I am bringing sentient beings to the heart of enlightenment. When you stand up, think, may all sentient beings rise up from the oceans of samsaric sufferings. When you open the door, think, I am opening the door of transcendental wisdom gone beyond the world, beyond samsara, for all sentient beings. May this happen. What I like about his are he brings bodhicitta into it so clearly. When you close the door, think, I am closing the door of samsara for sentient beings. May this happen. When you go out, think, I am bringing sentient beings out of the prison of samsara. May they be free from the prison of samsara, bound by karma and delusion. May this happen. These are very strong uh, present moment thoughts, I think, that would really help the mind and keep us on what we want to be kept on. I don't want to be in the past or future all the time. It's not helpful, but yet there my mind goes again. 
So we have to kind of with some gentleness recognize that and bring ourselves back again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And And not give up on ourselves. And as we do this more and more, especially with mm, practicing in meditation, we get a stronger mind so we can hold the present moment longer and longer. And then we start feeling the benefit of that. And then we don't have to talk ourselves into this. It's like, of course I want to be there. So I'd invite you to take a look at the habits in the mind and uh, look for these ruminating uh, thoughts and use whatever methods here. There's, you know, a bazillion others. That's the wonderful thing about Buddhism. There's so many different methods to use to get ourselves present and awake and aware. So that we can train and become more and more like the Buddha, who is always awake and aware. No ruminating there. And that was a man who practiced and did that. We can do that too. There isn't a person here that can't. We all have that capacity. That's our Buddha nature. That's our Buddha potential. Let's sit for a few moments and digest this.